0: That is the song for today, for this evening. There is Powder Blood. When I studied this one, and I looked into this song, uh, there's not a whole lot about it. There's not a great, amazing story about uh, where it came from. There's not a um, amazing background to the writer. Um, there's just not a whole lot to this song to the the person behind the song and how it came about the 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 writer of there is a there's power in the blood is a fellow by the name of Lewis Edward Jones he was born in Yates City Illinois he was born on February 8th 1865 so he's a couple years old he graduated from the uh, the Moody Bible Institute Uh, He did attend a class, the same class as the great evangelist Billy Sunday. So he knew a famous person. He went to school with a famous person. But he himself was an average individual. He, from early on, was very active in the YMCA. He actually spent his life. Working in the YMCA, uh, he did write several songs. He, uh, he produced the song There Is a Power in the Blood while Jones was attending a camp meeting at Mountain Lake Park. All right, so he writes this the words for this song. He writes the words, he also composed the music, which just seems to be kind of rare in a lot of these hymn songs that we looked into uh, typically the words come and then later an individual puts um, the the song with it all right um, really he, he's not you know there's several other pe- people pick up this song they're published in several different hymn books it, going around about um, in 1915 Jones became the YMCA general secretary In Santa Barbara, California. And that is where he stayed until he retired in 1925. Now one of the things about this guy is he enjoyed writing hymns. That was his hobby, right? Uh, One of the ones that that he is known for, I don't know if any of you know, it's called We Shall See the King Someday. So that is another one written by uh, Louis Edgar Jones. His daughter, um, according to his daughter, Miss Virgil Wayman of Santa Barbara, said that he actually wrote under numerous pseudonyms. All right. Um, Lewis Edgar, Edgar Lewis, Mary Slater, and several others. All right. So if you see any songs or hymns in your hymnal uh, by uh, Lewis Edgar, Edgar Lewis, Mary Slater, Um, That is the same fella, right? This is the guy that wrote those. Sadly, um, he passed away in Santa Barbara on September 1st of 1936. So, uh, Lewis was your average person. And I know a lot of these hymns that we've been looking into, that we've been studying, seem to have these gripping stories behind them, uh, where they came from and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like... That is awesome you know you see mountains and, and, and the majesty of God and, and you, or you see God move and, and, and you know in, in your hard times and there's all these stories or, or we had those ones where there was three or four different people and they had all come together with this with the song and whatnot not so with there's power in the blood it's just a simple individual who seemed to be your average follower of Christ uh, he worked at the YMCA. He had his job that he did. He worked with the children, sharing the gospel. Uh, he worked diligently at, 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 he, to write other hymns. That was his passion. Um, so he did that. He was just an individual that just went on his daily life. Um, but what I like about this is that, and what I think it teaches us, is that ordinary can produce mighty with a heart set on serving Christ. And I want everyone to understand that you don't have to be a Billy Sunday, you don't have to be this great mighty, you know, fantastic person that the world knows your name for you to make an impact. God just needs you to have a servant's heart. Listen, it is important that we have those behind-the-scenes people that can handle the day-to-day that just shares the gospel with those people in his particular circle. Right? Those that have the heart to write down some songs. You don't have to be a Bill Gaither and write hundreds of songs. You just have to be willing to write what is on your heart. And I think... That is what is happening here is you know this individual, this writer had a heart for Christ and early on he recognized what the Bible teaches about the blood sacrifice that was Christ and so he wrote this song that be that's it's a staple it's a song um, my dad when we ever when when we sang this song, in Memorial, um, to pep it up a little bit, he would always have us repeat, there's power in the blood. Well, it would be, there's power, 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 power. And we would just repeat that over and over real quick instead of just saying there's power in the blood. Um, So he would just have us continue to repeat that particular song or that that word over and over and over. Because just like any other hymn, we typically we kind of dull these songs down and we're not really excited about them. And that's my whole point for all of this is maybe through some of this studying, we have come to realize that there's some serious, serious stuff in these songs that the words mean something. The heart behind them means something. And even though this guy was ordinary or or seemingly to be ordinary, the song that he wrote is a powerful strong theologically just gigantic of a song and so that's kind of what we i I want to get into a little bit about this um one of the things that uh, and actually i was talking to dad my brother uh this today about it was you know i wonder why he chose the blood you know, of all the things that he could have chosen, he could have chosen, um, he chose a blood sacrifice. A, a, you know, uh, the price was the sacrifice ultimately to be Jesus Christ. Um, and I can't answer that question. I can't tell you the mind of God. It was just something that popped in my head. One of those, um, Tom says that he's got a list of questions that he wants to ask God when he gets there. Uh, you know, why this, that, or the other? Okay? And that's one of mine. Why the blood? Why Why did it have to be the blood? But what I do want to talk about is um, that only God's provisions provision is sufficient. Right? If you're in Genesis chapter 3, 21, you see we know the story of Adam and Eve. We know what happened in the garden. We know that they listened to us, a talking snake. They decided to go against the word of God. No matter what God said, they are booted out of the garden. Well, in that, in that story, they realized that they were naked. And so what did they do? They gathered up their own covering of, of what was going on. And they fashioned together what they felt to be sufficient to cover themselves. But in 321, what does it tell us? It tells us that um, the Lord God made coats of skins and clothed them. So here we have the first innocent life that is sacrificed to cover our sins. But what does that mean? That means what man had originally done was not sufficient in the eyes of God. It wasn't good enough. And and we, we need to really pay close attention to the fact that in that story that man came up with a plan on how to cover his sin... And God said, no, that's not not sufficient. This is what you need. And so he sacrificed the animal and gave them the coats to cover their sin. Now we see as the story progresses that in Genesis chapter 22, um, Abraham is ordered to sacrifice his son Isaac. Um, That's a hard one. Even when my kids are brats, I don't really think I'd be all gun ho about sacrificing them. Putting them in the backyard for a day or two. Maybe not feeding them a little bit. Any parent required to sacrifice their child, that's a struggle. But this is what God asked for. He asked for Isaac to be sacrificed so this long trek this long move all the way to the altar for Abraham to to trek or to do the sacrifice I'm sure Abraham's mind is just all over the place is he doing it he is he, he is going to sacrifice his son but he's he, he's in this trek understanding that what God asks for is what God asks for and you just have to have faith that that God knows what he's doing, that God's ways are the right way. And no matter how crazy or wild or insane that it seems to be, you believe in in faith that that God's provision will be sufficient. But we know what happened in in verses 12 and 13 of Genesis. It says, uh, he's told, the angel of the Lord called unto him and, and, and he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither Do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God. Um, Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket, but his horns, and it was caught in the thicket by his horns. And abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son so what do we see god provides another offering so abraham does not have to sacrifice his son god provided what was sufficient the ram was sufficient for the sacrifice but god decided that the ram was sufficient Abraham didn't, on his way, grab the ram and say, God, let's do this one. I think the ram will do much better than me sacrificing my son. God's provision, and only God's provision, is what's sufficient. The idea that we play any role in this redemption is just bad on our side. And, and when we get into the idea of these works-based uh, um religions or or practices when you understand the idea of god decides what is sufficient then then the rest of that doesn't fit it doesn't make any sense um we're not worthy the bible tells us that so how can anything that we decide i cannot tell god the ram is sufficient because I am not God. I am not worthy to decide what is sufficient. Only God can decide what is sufficient. And, and that's what we have to wrap our heads around. This, this song that there's power in the blood is about what is sufficient. You know, the first verse starts off with, with talking about it, right? We have to trust and know that God decides what is sufficient. And then the rest of that kind of falls into place. The idea of baptism and, and works and, and even losing your salvation and, uh, you know, having to obtain special gifts or or belonging to a particular family or or, or or any of that kind of stuff. if God decides what is sufficient, then nothing else is sufficient. So what did he decide is sufficient? Well, the shedding of blood. As we walk through the story of the Bible, we get to that chapter or that chapter, that book of the Bible that that no one likes, Leviticus right we get into leviticus and we we see in leviticus this these laws start to come out right we see teachings on how we should act and interact when things are going on Um, we see um how to handle situations how to handle heathens um marriage and and all this kind of stuff um we also see in where he passes out the instructions on the proper way to handle the offerings and the sacrifices, okay? So in the book of Leviticus, you have five offerings, all right? You have a burnt, a piece, a meal, a sin, and a trespass offering. And it is in the book of Leviticus that we are taught what is sufficient how those are supposed to work word for word line by line exactly the way god does it and in all of those offerings all of those sacrifices those all include the sprinkling of the blood that he is now requiring or has really been required but the law here for the atonement of sin in chapters four and five It actually walks through. Now, burnt meal and peace offerings are meant more towards a worship, right? But your sin and your trespass offerings, which it talks about in chapters 4 and 5 in Leviticus, we see that um, those are for the covering of your sins, right? So here we have the idea that for our sins, our trespass against God There is blood, shedding of blood, to be required. So it's not a shock that farther along in in chapter 17, we run across a verse, verse 11, that says, For the life of the flesh is the blood, and I have given given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your sins. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. You see, God decides for whatever reason in his infinite wisdom that the blood, the shedding of innocent blood is required for the atonement. What is atonement? Well, atonement is reparation for a wrong or an injury, All right, a sin, a trespass. So he decides that that the shedding of an innocent blood, or shedding of an innocent, the blood is what pays for the atonement or the reparation for this wrong against God. So in this seemingly, in in this hymn written by the seemingly normal servant of God, we have this deep, powerful teaching that hits us about the atonement of blood you see we've walked through and we've realized that god's way god is the only one that can determine what is sufficient and then god decides that the shedding of blood is what is sufficient so in the old testament he sends these instructions and we saw on the sacrifices there of what was to be shed there was a ram there was a a, a lamb there you know uh, turtle doves and so so on and so forth but they were spotless right they were a lot of times your first and uh, you know so over and over we see this idea of an innocent one who is that doesn't deserve this has to be sacrificed for the atonement of my sins, all right? We see this teaching, this, this story through the Old Testament. The idea that the Old Testament and the New Testament are two completely different gods is absurd. They're, you're not paying any attention to what is being taught in the Old Testament. Why? Because this brings us to our last point. The, the sacrifices were a picture of what was to come. They were never meant to be permanent. They couldn't be permanent. The problem was, is they had to be done over and over. And there were certain times of the years that you had certain ones. You had certain times of years that the the priest could go into the tabernacle, into the temple, into the holiest of holies, and perform these rituals of several of the the sacrifices for themselves or for the, the, the nation of Israel. All right? Um, They did not have the ability, these goats, these animals, these spotless lambs, did not have the ability to atone forever. So you had to buy one over and over. You had to keep doing it. It's like, uh, you know, there are things that I can purchase that are cheaper. In the long run, it's going to cost me more. Why? Because it's not going to last as long. It's going to wear out. I'm going to use them. They're going to break. Um, than if I would just purchase quality over cheap, right? So, same concept here is they were never meant to last forever. You couldn't do one sin sacrifice and be golden for the rest of eternity, right? You had to do it over and over and over. Same way with the trespasses, the trespass and and, and the other ones. It, it was required think about that today that means that we need to be right where we need to be on a regular basis serving god the way god wants to serve because there is a particular way he expects us to handle situations that was the idea of the sacrifices so what we have is you know we have these practices that were having to be done over and over because even though they was commanded, they, they lacked the ability to be everlasting. Enter Jesus Christ. Alright? When you go to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Um these verses, and, and when you get an opportunity, go back and read the entire chapter of chapter 9 and 10 of Hebrews because it's really interesting because this is where that intermingling of the picture of the sacrifices, what they were done, and then how Jesus Christ um, took over for that. Um, There are several verses, and the ones that I I wanted to look at was um, in chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, um, they're talking, and it says, For if the blood of the bulls and of goats... And the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to purify the flesh, right? So they're saying, hey, if this common animal that God created that's just roaming around, using the blood of this animal, if this purifies the flesh, if this, you know, satisfies the moment, then verse 14, how much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He says, listen, if these animals, if these spotless animals can do the temporary job, how much greater is that of our Savior? And the sacrifice that he made, the blood sacrifice that he came here and died for. How much greater, how much more power is in the blood of Jesus Christ when these animals satisfied it momentarily? On over in chapter 10, verses 10 through 12, he kind of talks a little about that. It says, but the which we would... Yeah, will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away the sins. He says the blood of Christ, the body of Christ was off, was, was offered once and for all. He says the priest can't really take away your sins, right? You're just painting over a painted fence. He says, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Now, listen, that's an amen right there. Why? Because, what does he say? He says, there was sacrifices that, that were sufficient for the period of time, but Jesus Christ's sacrifice was lasting and sufficient for all, forever, never to have to be done again. Now, that tells us that if the blood of animals could do a little bit and the power of Christ, the blood of Christ could do it all, that tells us that it has to be Jesus Christ. You see, this tells us that we were sanctified once and for all. It says the sacrifice for sins was for ever. Not until Trevor messed up and it all had to be done again. It said it was for ever. It is done. Right? It is finished. It satisfied the debt. Because that's what the verse tells us. Verse 12. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. So once he made that sacrifice, that worked forever. He sat down at the right hand of God. He was done. It was finished. He came down on the cross, died on the cross for our sins. That's why he came. It was finished. If if the blood of Christ wasn't sufficient, then he couldn't have gone back to the right hand of God. He didn't finish the work. If more needed to be done, then he would have had to hang out and do it again. Why? Because it wouldn't have been sufficient. But these verses tell us that it was sufficient. There was power in the blood. And that's what this song was, it talks about is that there is power. Two small chapters, two small chapters in the Bible telling us that the blood of Christ has the power to atone once and for all, Forever and ever, but it don't stop there. All right, you can study some more. Matthew twenty six twenty eight, my blood shed for the remission of sins. Acts twenty twenty eight, he's saying, he's saying, feed the church of God which he purchased with his blood. And then in First Peter one eighteen through nineteen, it talks about how they were re- we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Over and over and over we can study these words, these verses in the Bible to where it tells us that the blood, only the blood of Christ, only by the shedding of his blood can we atone, can our, our sins be atoned. And so we look at this song, this this song written by a average person. There's so much in this small song. Probably greater than most of the songs that we've studied some more. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement. Sundays come and go. We sing songs. We sing other songs. We sing there is power in the blood. Do we really ever dive into how deep this humbly written song by this just normal servant truly, really is if the atonement is solely in his blood then it cannot be in works it cannot be in baptism nor could it be in any other religion that doesn't teach jesus christ this little overlooked song that we just sing off of the cuff slow like our hymns because Can't really pick the pace up. Typically, Satan's kind of sad. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Theologically, blows up works-based salvation. Blows up every other religion that is not Christ-centered. This song, above all other songs... Should bring us to a state of pure gratitude for the shedding of the sins, or shedding of his blood for our sins. This small song is so powerful. Why is it so powerful? As you follow along in nine twenty-two, it says, "Let us draw nigh." No, I'm still in ten. My bad. Nine twenty-two. Like I said, we were talking about in chapters nine and ten. It talks about the sacrifices and the shedding, and Christ being that forever sacrifice. And he says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without." The shedding of blood is no remission. I'm going to say that again. Without the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, we do not have salvation. If we are not in a church that preaches the, 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 the blood of Jesus Christ, we're not in a sin preaching church. We're a sin forgiving church. If we're not. In a religion that preaches Jesus Christ' death, burial, and resurrection, our sins cannot be forgiven. There is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of the blood of Christ, there is no remission of sins, no works, no baptism, no 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 holy chatter, no anything else, no blood, no no anything else, nothing else no matter how nice I am or great I am or money I have or, or, or great I sing or, or amazing preacher that I can possibly be, none of that matters without the shed blood of Jesus Christ. See, this small little song, this this er, er, songwriter, this average individual who just worked day by day at the YMCA, who as a hobby wrote songs and wrote hymns lays out this powerful deeply theological this this basis the building blocks of everything that we are the power in the blood song goes like this would you be free from the burden of sin there's power in the blood power in the blood would you over evil a victory win there's wonderful power in the blood would you be free from your passions and pride there's power in the blood power in the blood come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide there's wonderful power in the blood would you be wither much whiter than snow there's power in the blood power in the blood sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow there's wonderful power in the blood in the in the blood would you do service for Jesus your King there's power in the blood power in the blood would you live daily his praises to sing there's wonderful power in the blood there is power power wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Today, as we start to see more people, as things start to open back up, I urge you to tell people about the sacrifice Christ made when you sing this song revert think about Christ on that cross and how forever his blood is an atonement when people try to tell you that you can lose your salvation or you can work your salvation there's power in the blood of Christ the remission of sins for all forever That's what the verses say there is no and when they try to tell you there are other ways to heaven you tell them this isn't disney there's only one way and that is through jesus christ why because there is power in the blood of christ